So I pay $5 for a two-hour movie and then realize that my flight is only 90 minutes long. I mean, come on! I'm so tired. I think I slept too much. Honey, the fridge is full. Babe, my coffee mug is too tall for the Keurig. What am I supposed to do with my leftover chicken fajitas? I'm hungry, but I'm not like hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I'm not hungry, hungry. I don't even know if I'm hungry. It's 11 o'clock, and I don't know whether to eat breakfast or lunch. I think I'm hungry. I hate watching Blu-rays on this TV. It looks too real. I'm not even hungry. My phone is 4G, but we don't have 4G coverage where we live, so it's the worst. This is the worst. No! No! Oh! I clicked restart instead of shut down. I have to wait for it to start back up again so I can shut it down. I hate it. I'm like too healthy. I never get to use any of my sick days. Closet full of clothes, nothing to wear. My white noise machine broke last night and I didn't get any sleep. There's nothing to watch. There is nothing to watch. The bottom of my foot has been itching all day, but it tickles when I scratch it. I didn't finish brushing my teeth this morning. My battery died halfway through. I hate that. My hair smells like Starbucks. My hand smells like Starbucks. My iPad smells like Starbucks. That's the worst. Hmm. <laughs> I lost it. Just shoot me. Ah, oh, just shoot me. Put me out of my misery. Kill me now. Just shoot me in the face. Wasn't I just chewing gum? I don't remember spitting it out. This blanket doesn't have any sleeves. How many of you know someone in your life who seems to do nothing but just complain all the time? Raise your hand. All right, several of you. I see two hands going up for some of you. Now, let me ask the harder question. How many of you are that person in your family and friend circle who just does nothing but complain all the time? Oh, nobody rose their hands on that one. Ah, it's interesting when we start to look at that. But the reality is, is that we are surrounded by people who seem to do nothing but complain all the time. The weather is too hot. The service is too long. The music is too loud. It took four minutes to get my Chick-fil-A sandwich instead of three. These are real problems that people have and that people complain about, and we constantly find ourselves surrounded by people who are good at complaining. Isn't that ironic that we know people in our lives who seem to excel at complaining almost as if it's like a spiritual gift of theirs, that they're able to complain so well? I just don't understand it. And you know, when I don't understand something, I tend to do whatever it takes to find out the information so I can understand it. So I decided to take this idea of complaining and why people complain and what people complain about, and I went to the all-knowing land of Facebook. And I posted this question on my Facebook feed last week, and the question was, what are you tempted to complain about? And what was amazing to me is within a matter of minutes, I had dozens and dozens and dozens of people commenting on this post. It was really fascinating to me. And so what I wanted to do to help illustrate my point this morning is kind of compile some of these and give you a summary of what people all around the world, different walks of life, different ages, genders, races, were saying that they complain about to see maybe if we can relate to them. And one of the interesting things that I found out was that a lot of people complained about opposites. And what I mean by that is that they started to complain about something, but then it made them realize something else about their complaint. 
For instance, one person said, man, I am tempted to complain that I am just tired all the time. But then they went on to say, but I really have no reason to be tired because after I put my kids to bed, I'm the one that chooses to stay up even though I don't have to. So she was the creator of her own tiredness in her life, but yet she still complained about it. I had another friend who posted and said, I'm tempted to complain about the way that people treat me in this world. And that sounds a little bit serious, but then she also posted and said, but then again, maybe I'm living my life in such a way that I'm giving people a reason to treat me a certain way. She was the creator of how people were treating her. And those are just a couple of examples. And a lot of other people had very similar complaints as I started to look at it. People complain from all different things, such as weight to um, their placement in life, the stereotypes and labels that they get called, like being a girl, for instance. We had people who complained about some serious things like pain and some time management. We had people who complained about the Texans losing and Disneyland being too crowded. I'm sure you guys know who those were. But... When we start to look at these, everybody was complaining about something. And so last week in the courtyard, I decided to ask some of you the same question instead of just leaving it to the land of Facebook to see what that face-to-face conversation would look like. And I got a whole different set of answers. People who said that they're tempted to complain about terrible drivers, right? When you're going like fast in the carpool lane and someone really slow pulls out in front of you, that's a problem. You want to complain about that. People complained about ignorant people or arrogant people. Some people complained about family issues. Some people complained about husbands who seem to do nothing around the house. Some people also complained about kids who all they ever do is just seem to misbehave. You see, we all have these complaints. But my two favorite complaints that I got are the responses to complaints were this. The one person who said, I am tempted to complain about people who complain all the time. That one just sounds weird, right? I'm tempted to complain about people who complain all the time. And the second one is one that I really relate to and really resonates deep in my soul. And they say that I'm tempted to complain about people who put the toilet paper roll on the wrong way. I mean, this is a serious life issue. This is what makes my blood boil, right? And it leaves me lying awake at night because everybody knows it's over, not under, right? And if you go into a house or a building and you see that the toilet paper is under, you get out. That's a place of sin, right? It's just run as fast as you can, as far as you can to get away. But regardless on where you stand on this generational toilet paper issue that plagues our decade, the real point behind all of this is that we are surrounded by complainers. Every single day, everywhere we go, every instant, every moment of our lives, there are people somewhere around us that are complaining. And it's become so easy, so much a normal part of our life that we just excuse it. And we just kind of go with it saying, it's no big deal because everybody complains. And as Christians, we know that we should live a different life from complaining, but it's hard because when we go to the Bible to look at complaining, we see that it's all over the Bible as well. For instance, if you go to the very first book of the Bible in the book of Genesis, you read the story of Adam and Eve, right? Eve, she's in the garden with Adam and she sees this forbidden fruit and she's tempted and she eats of the fruit and then she gives some of it to Adam. And then God comes down and he says, what have you done? And Adam does the typical thing a man typically would do in this situation. He starts complaining and casting blame. And he does it twice. First, he says, God, the woman that you put here, This wouldn't have been an issue if you hadn't placed her here. Like I wouldn't have been tempted by her. So it's all your fault. And then secondly, well, even if you had given the woman, well, the woman's the one who led me astray. He's blaming everybody else but himself. He's complaining in the story. 
But that's not it. If we go a little bit further and we look at the book of Job, we see that Job does a lot of complaining. Now, Job has a lot of good reasons to complain, but look at what Job says in Job chapter 10, verse one. He says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint. He's literally saying, my life is so terrible. My life is so painful. I have to complain. I have to scream it out. And if you don't like me complaining, well, too bad, because I'm going to shout it out. I'm going to scream it because it's how I process my grief. It's how I process my complaints in life. And he goes through most of the book of Job just complaining about things that are going on in his life. If we go a little bit further, we also read about one of the most notorious groups in the entire Bible who's known for complaining, a group of people called the Israelites. We know that they were held in captivity in Egypt under Pharaoh, and they prayed and they cried out to God every single day, God, deliver us. God, rescue us. God, save us. And so what does God do? He sends Moses to deliver them. And Moses does these amazing 10 plagues through the the miraculous hand of God, and it softens the Pharaoh's heart enough to where Pharaoh releases his people. They're set free. They finally got the thing that they wanted the most. And so as they're walking through the wilderness, suddenly Pharaoh's heart changes and he sends his armies to go chasing back after them. And the Israelites become on the run and they start to pray again, God, save us, God, rescue us. And they find themselves surrounded by the sea, by the mountains, by the valleys, by this army, and there's nowhere for them to go. So they pray and they cry out, God, we need your help. God, deliver us. And what does he do? He does just that. He parts the sea and allows them to cross through on dry ground. And as the army comes down to chase them, he crashes the sea back on top of them, completely removing this threat from their lives. And once again, they're set free. But God just doesn't leave it there. He says, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to give you clothes that never tatter or or wear or fade. I'm going to give you food as much as you want to eat. I'm going to give you water by striking a rock, right? I'm going to give you a pillar of fire to give you warmth and to guide you by the night and a a dust cloud, a storm to kind of protect you during the day to ward off anybody who might come against you. God was continually providing again and again and again for them. But how did they respond? Look at this. In the book of Exodus, verse six, chapter 16, it says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Wow. Talk about grumbling and complaining. This is exactly what they're doing. Now, if we keep reading in this story, their complaints keep getting worse. But we can take this so easily out of context because as they're going through the wilderness, they start to say, God, you know, we're hungry. We've been walking for quite a while. Please give us some food. And so God provides some bread for them. And they eat bread until they're full and they're happy. And then a couple verses later, it's like, God, we're tired of eating bread. We want something else. So God says, okay, I'm going to give you quail as far as you can see to gather it, eat it, whatever you want to do with it, it's yours. And so they start eating the quail and it's all great. And then all of a sudden they say, God, we're thirsty now, right? It's kind of like that if you give a mouse a cookie story, right? God, we're thirsty. So God gives them water and then it's God, we want this. God, we want this. God, we want this. Till a point they're saying, God, you never provide for us. It's better if we had just been back in slavery in Egypt where we could have died. It would have been better to have died at the hand of our oppressor than have to continually ask you for these things in our lives. And they were afraid. And they started complaining and complaining and complaining. See, folks, the reality is that we are surrounded by people who complain all the time in every aspect of our life, in every walk of our life. 
It's really what happens. And we have to understand that. And we have to recognize that. And here's the deal. If you really want to hurt the heart of God, if you want to hurt yourself and push people away from you, yeah, keep on complaining. Keep on excusing it. Keep on rationalizing it or marginalizing it and pretending like it's no big deal. But if you truly want to live a life of purpose, a life that's set apart for God, we need to learn to quit complaining. And so as we end out this series called I Quit, that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to take a look at why we complain, how we complain, what our complaints are all about, and why it's so dangerous when we do complain. And I want to start by giving you two fundamental things I want you to write down and what I'm calling the cost of complaining, because these are so significant for us to understand. And the first one is this, that complaining offends the heart of God. When we complain, it offends the heart of God. The best way that I can illustrate it is like this. If you're a parent, you have a child, right? And you want only what's best for your child. And so if your child comes up and says, I want this thing, you're going to do within reason whatever it takes to get them that thing because you love them, you care for them, you want to see them happy in life. Now that thing may require some sacrifice on your part. It could require some time. It could require you to do something maybe you don't want to do or go out of your way to, in order to get this thing, but you still do it because you love them. And then you bring this thing home and you give it to your child and they're super happy and like, yay. And then three seconds later, it just ends up over there. They're saying, I'm tired of this. I don't like this. I don't want this anymore. How dare you get this from me? I want this thing. My life sucks, right? And it just keeps escalating and escalating. And somewhere deep down, you're offended. You're hurt because they don't realize what you went through in order to get them that thing the sacrifice, the time, the commitment it took in order to provide for them that thing. And you just look at them with the utmost loving part of your heart and you say, you ungrateful little booger, <laughs> right? And you just want to smack them upside the head, but you don't. You still continue to love them even though deep down inside, you're hurt, you're offended. And you see, I think this is the same way that God feels when we complain. And I think that because of what I see in the book of Numbers chapter 11. Take a look at this. It says, now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Fire from the Lord burned among them, consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And when the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord and their fire died down. You see, their complaining made God so hurt, so angry. It says that it burned within him and it burned the outskirts of the camp. So odds are, if you ever come home and find your lawn on fire, it's a good indicator that maybe you've been complaining too much. And that should be a wake-up call to us, man, maybe I need to get my priorities right. Maybe I need to rethink things because maybe what I'm saying is hurting someone or offending someone by what I have to say. And we also know this is the case because if we keep reading in that story, Moses, who's kind of spearheading all of this, who's leading them through the desert, the Israelites, they keep complaining and complaining to Moses. Moses, we're unhappy. Moses, we want this. Moses and this to the point where Moses gets upset. And he goes and he says, God, and he actually starts complaining. The people that you have rescued, he's complaining and throwing it back to God. He says, they do nothing but complain to me. I can't handle this anymore. And God looks at him and says, you know what? You're right. They are complaining to you, but what you need to realize is that they're complaining about me. They may be complaining to you, but really what's at their heart is they're complaining about me, and that hurts. That's hard for him to hear. And so he's like, you know what? Fine, I'm going to give them over to their death. And then Moses and him kind of play this spiritual battle back and forth, kind of like, no, they're your people. You're your people. They're your people. Until it's like, okay, you know what? I'll uphold my promise because it's what I have set in store for them. 
But what we have to realize is that when we complain, it offends the heart of God. The second thing I want you to write down is this, that when we complain, it carries significant consequences. When we complain, it carries significant consequences. The best way that I heard it is somebody once said, complainers are like people with spiritual bad breath, right? It's a horrible analogy. It sounds gross, but it's perfect. Because what do you do when you're in a conversation with someone who has bad breath? right? You kind of slowly like, uh-huh, yeah, that's great. You know, you're slowly trying to back your way out of that conversation to get as far away from them as you can because you just feel gross. You feel disgusting. It just feels nasty to be in their presence. You can't handle it. So you don't want to be a part of their lives in that moment, their lives as they're holding this conversation with you. So you'll remove yourself. You'll distance yourself from that person. The same thing happens when we complain. It's like we have spiritual bad breath and people are like, you know what? I don't want to be around you if all you're ever going to do is complain. Yeah, maybe we had a great friendship or maybe there was a great relationship that was about to form here, but because all you ever seem to do is complain, I don't want to be a part of that. And it pushes people away from us and it pushes God away from us. Take a look at this in the next part in Numbers chapter 14. It says, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of the grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census, who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your homes, except Caleb and Joshua." This is such a critical story. He says, man, you know, I had something that I wanted to bless you with. I had something great in store for you, but not a single one of you are going to get it except for Caleb and Joshua. You see, there are things in life that God wants to bless us with, that God wants to give us. He hears our cries. He knows what the desires of our hearts are. He hears us when we call out to him saying, God, I want this. And he says, I want to give that to you. I want to bless you in that manner. But you know what? I'm not going to because all you ever do is complain. All you ever do is whine and moan and groan and grumble. Why should I give you this thing if you're not even going to be thankful or grateful for it? You see, what we need to realize is that we can't complain against the one who blesses us because at some point, they very well could stop blessing us in this manner. And that's exactly kind of what we see happening in this story. Now, I can't say that that's the truth of what's going to happen in each and every one of our lives, but there's a good chance that if what we see here is true, (laughs) that it could apply to our lives as well. That God is saying, look, I have something great I want to do for you. I have something great in store for you beyond your wildest imagination. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to captivate you. I'm going to do these amazing things through your life. But actually, I'm not going to because I'm tired of you complaining. I'm tired of you whining. I'm tired of you grumbling all the time. So why should I even bother to go out of my way to make this happen for you? You see, we need to realize that when we complain, it costs us significantly, not just spiritually by distancing God from ourselves, but it ruins relationships. It ruins friendships. It ruins working environments. It pushes people continually away from us again and again and again. See, folks, the point of the matter is this, that if you want to complain, you're going to find things all day long to complain about. That's the reality. If you want to complain, you're going to find things all day long to complain about. If you want to be bitter and critical and negative, you're going to be bitter, critical, and negative. Nobody can change that inside of you. And there's actually a technical term for this, believe it or not. It's called the confirmation bias. 
And the confirmation bias says this, if you have a preconceived idea against something, you will search out or interpret new information based on your preconceived bias. What that means is that if you're going into a situation being angry or being upset or being frustrated, the only thing that you're going to pull out of that situation is anger and things that make you upset and frustrated. There was a story that I read once about uh, a real estate broker who was showing a new house. And as these families were coming in, they started to say, hey, you know, what are the people like in this community? And so the agent threw it back to them and said, well, what were the people like in your old community? And I said, oh, they were terrible people. They did nothing but make noise and leave trash out of the place. Their dogs pooped on the lawn. It was just a terrible environment. We hated where we lived. And she said, you know what? Odds are these people are going to be pretty this much the same. And then another group came in and said, hey, how are the people in this community? And she asked, well, how are the people in your last community? Oh, we loved them. They were great and caring. You know, we hung out. We made fellowship and friends with them. She says, you know what? The people here are probably going to be the same. See, how you go into a situation is going to determine what you pull out of that situation and how you respond to it and how you react to it and the things that you say in the midst of these things. That's what all of this is about. And that's why it's so important for us to understand the dangers that exist when we actually start to complain. So what do we do? What do we do when we live in a world where it seems like complaining is not just the norm, it's almost expected? Because if we realize it, the people that we surround ourselves every day are people who share similar complaints as us. We bond to people who have similar complaints, similar ideals and values, and that's how we kind of grow with one another. And it's almost so prevalent that that's how we begin to live our lives and view every aspect of our life. But what do we do? How do we learn to quit complaining and realize the real dangers that exist every time that we open our mouths and the potential for what we may or may not say? Well, I think the Apostle Paul does a great job of telling us in the book of Philippians. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be learning from Paul about this whole idea of why complaining is so dangerous. And Paul does such a great job eloquently writing here. He's going to tell us the what, the why, and the how of complaining. What it is that we need to know about complaining, why we shouldn't complain, and how we can stop complaining. And this is great because this is like my three bullet points that Paul has already done for me here. He's made it so easy for me and for you to understand. And the first one is the what. And he so easily lays it out for us to see in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. The what is this? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or without arguing. Now, that sounds easy, but that's really hard to do, isn't it? Because chances are there's a lot of complaining that's existing in your life right now. And the reason why I know that is because there's complaining that exists in my life right now. And the reason why that is, is because we place ourselves at the center of our own lives. We are the very center of our lives, the center of our world. And when something doesn't go the way that we expect it to, the way that we want it to, we complain because it's not what we anticipated. It's not what we hoped for. It's not what we wanted. So therefore we feel that we have some God-given right in order to complain about it because it's our lives. It affects us. It affects what we do. But we need to realize that's not the case. That we need to break ourselves away from that. Because as we start to go in this mentality, we start to be more jaded towards the situations we put ourselves in in this world. 
until you find yourself getting to a point where you're just making a list of things that you're complaining about. Man, I hate the fact that I have to get up so early. I hate the fact I have a long drive to work. I hate the fact that I don't like these coworkers of mine. It just goes on and on and on. And we keep making these big, massive lists of things to complain about. But let me ask you this. When's the last time you made a list of the things that God has blessed you with? The things that you're thankful for in this life? Because I guarantee you, if you were to start to make that list, you would find out that it is much larger than your list of complaints. But the problem is, is that these small complaints seem to outweigh and overshadow these big moments of thankfulness in our lives. And soon the small things become the big things until we get to a point where these moments in our lives, they get blown out of proportion and we respond and we speak in a way that's completely against our character against who we are as human beings. And and we start to complain and argue and yell and grumble and moan and get angry. You know, in the book of Ephesians chapter four, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. See, what this is saying is that anytime you're tempted to complain, stop. Bite your tongue, hold your tongue and think what I'm about to say what good is it going to do? What good is it going to do? What change is it going to bring about in the midst of my situation? Is it going to hurt somebody? Is it going to distance somebody from me? Is it going to ruin a potential opportunity in my life? Or is it going to help somebody? Is it going to build somebody up? Because that's the rest of this verse. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, except that is which is used for the edifying and the building up of people around you. See, that's what it's all about. We need to find a way to turn our complaints into praises, our complaints into acknowledgments. For instance, if you came to church this morning and you walked in and you were upset and complained, man, I had to park at the back of the parking lot because all the front spots were taken. And I love the front spots because it means that I can get out of service faster so I don't have to talk to people on my way out. No, you should be praising the Lord saying, God, thank you that we have a church that's growing that we have a church where people are coming and their lives are being transformed and they want to know you more. See, that's how we turn our complaints to praises. If you're complaining, man, my job is just the worst and the people that I work with, man, they are terrible. No, we should be praising God saying, God, thank you that I have a job. God, thank you that I am surrounded by people, regardless if I like them or not, every single day, because there are people who are living on the streets who don't have a job and who don't have people and it's lonely. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this opportunity. See, we need to find a way in every situation to turn our complaints into praises, to not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, except that which is used for the edifying and the building up of other people. So what does this come down to? That's the what, right? What? The what is do everything without grumbling or arguing. Well, why? Why do we do this? What's the benefit for us in this? Well, Paul also goes on to tell us in the next part of this verse, he says that you may become blameless and pure, that you may become blameless and pure, that you would become like a child of God in the midst of this crooked generation. Specifically in Philippians 2, 14, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. See, to me, this is amazing. It says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Why? So that we could become blameless and pure. Do you know what being blameless and pure is? It's to become more like Christ, 
to become a child of God, to become a beacon of light in the midst of a dark and depraved generation that we currently find ourselves in. That's what it comes down to. That's what he's really going at here. He could have said, you know what? Don't lie. Don't cuss. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. He says, no, don't complain. Don't argue. Don't grumble. You know why? Because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Everything we've been talking about so far is all external things, right? But this is where it switches to the internal. That if we have placed ourselves at the center of our lives, that we are the center of our hearts, it easily allows us to be corrupted. It easily allows us to react as humans do. But if we put God at the center, man, it's a completely different story. It's a completely different perspective because he begins to speak through us. He begins to act through us in that matter. And it removes us, it removes our irritability and our frustration in the midst of every single situation that we can go through. It's a heart issue that we have to pay attention to. Because if we're not looking at the heart, well, then we're missing the point of all of this. So that's the what, that's the why, but where's the how? How do we quit complaining? This is the harder one, right? How do we quit complaining? Well, once again, Paul lays it out and he tells us, he says, to align your heart with the heart of God. To align your heart with the heart of God. How do we do this? Simply, it's to rejoice in the midst of every situation of our lives. To find a reason to rejoice in every situation in our lives. I know that sounds hard, but Paul does probably the most amazing job of illustrating this for us. If you read through the book of Philippians, you'll find that Paul is in prison. He's under house arrest, right? He's in chains and it's not a great situation. He knows he's at the end of his life. His time is drawing near. He's probably thinking, man, this could be the very last thing that I write to people. My time is up. Game is over for me. There's no hope for a future for me. But in the midst of all of that mindset, look what he goes on to say in Philippians 2. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. He's literally saying, even if I die today, I rejoice. I rejoice. That's crazy to think about. Most of us in this situation, we would complain. God, it's unfair. God, I shouldn't be in prison. God, I don't belong here. God, I'm wrongfully accused. God, why am I going through this? God, why have you abandoned me and left me in this position? We would be so easy to complain. But Paul turns around and says, no, even if I were to die today, I rejoice. I praise the Lord. How can he say that? Well, because he's the same person who says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives inside of me. See, Paul knew that he no longer was the center of his own story, that he had been set free, that he had been forgiven, that he had been redeemed. And that was his reason to praise, his reason to rejoice. I can just imagine Paul screaming and writing as he's writing this saying, man, if only you knew who I was, If only you knew the things that I did, the terrible person that I had become part of this warped and crooked generation, the horrible things that were existing in my life. And yet God still chose to save me, to forgive me. How can I do anything but rejoice? How can I do anything but praise him? See, this is the mentality we need to have as we go through situations in our life, man. Yeah, it may be terrible, but God is still working through it. God is still in the midst of every single one of these moments and we should be praising him and acknowledging him and thanking him in every aspect of our lives. You know, for me, the way that this plays out and where I'm most tempted to complain is the grueling schedule of preparing messages week after week, month after month, year after year. 
You know, it's not the fact that I don't like being up here. I love being up here. I really enjoy all this, but it's the prep work that goes into being up here. The late nights of writing a sermon and the fact checking and pulling up scripture and the memorization and the studying and the rehearsing and the bulletins and the outlines, all the different components that go into it. It's tiring at times. And there are times when I'm pacing back and forth in my house because that's how I study terrifying the cat. As I pace back and forth, and I'm rehearsing this out loud, seeing if she'll give me some kind of feedback. But I sit there and I'll sit down on the couch and I'll just kind of breathe. And my wife Tiffany walk in and she'll say, what are you doing? And I'll be like, I'm, you know, taking a moment to breathe. I'm resting. She's like, are you done studying? I'm like, no. <laughs> You know, and then I'll be like, well, I'm tired. You know, I've rehearsed this. I've got so many different sermons in my head right now. I just need a break. And she says, you need to get back to studying. I don't want to study. Matt, you need to get back to studying. They don't even like me anyway, right? It's like, (laughs) Matt, you need to study. Matt, you need to be rehearsing. And it was at that moment that Tiffany usually says something like this to me. She says, Matt, here's the fact. You know that you can sit here and complain all day long, but you also know that it will do nothing for you. Because if you don't study, if you don't rehearse, when it comes time for Sunday morning, you're going to be so stressed out. You're going to be so overwhelmed that you're going to be so focused on you doing a good job that it doesn't allow God to move through you. That you're going to be focusing on yourself rather than having God at the center of what you're preaching and what you're teaching. And I sit there and I think, man, thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking in the form of such a beautiful woman. But man, I hate it when she's right. (laughs) Right? I hate it when she's right. I hate it when she calls me out like that. But that's the truth. Because what she helps me realize every single time is that it's a heart issue of mine. But I'm so focused. I'm so bent up on giving this message. And really, it comes down to two things for me. First, it's acknowledging simply the fact that I've been chosen to be up here and to preach the word of God in prayerfully a way that's honoring to him. And knowing in scripture, it says that those who preach and teach the word of God are judged more strictly than the others. That's the constant pressure that I feel every single time that I have to write a message, that I get to write a message. And then on the human side of it, it's this idea, whether it be right or wrong, that if I do a good job, people come back and people grow in their faith. But if I do a bad job, people leave. People don't return to church and it could ruin someone's faith. See, these are the things that constantly plague me in and out on top of the idea of, man, how on earth am I going to get up here and preach a message that's going to keep you captivated for 25 minutes? How am I going to be entertaining? How am I going to be theologically sound? How am I going to be persuasive or eloquent or knowledgeable enough to hold these conversations to keep you on the edge of your seats so that God can start to transform your life for the better? These are the things that go through my head, but every single time that Timney says that to me, it helps me realize it's not about me. It's about God moving through me. And instead of me complaining, man, I've got to, you know, prepare the sermon. I've got to rehearse. I've got to study it. I've got to terrify the cats by walking around the house. I should be praising the Lord, saying, thank the Lord that he has chosen me to be a messenger for him. Thank the Lord that he has given me the skills and the ability to stand up here and not be nervous and shy and to speak his words to you. Thank the Lord that he has chosen me, that he has forgiven me, that he has saved me in such a manner it makes me passionate about preaching and teaching and helping you understand what God has done in my life. You see, it's about the heart. And when I start to have that change of mind, that change of heart, God starts to work wonders. And odds are there's a lot of things that maybe you're complaining about in your life right now. It may be big, it may be small, could be significant, could be petty. But what I challenge you to do And what I encourage you to do this week is this. Simply before you respond, before you speak, to pause. And to ask yourself, what good 
is what I'm about to say going to do? What change is it really going to bring? Who's being affected by what I have to say? Am I hurting someone or am I lifting someone up? Because we need to know that every single time that we complain, people know that we are representations of Christ. And when we complain, what does that say to other people? And our complaints, it offends the heart of God. It carries significant consequences. And so we need to go into this life every single day, not arguing, not complaining, but speaking words of affirmation to others. So if we truly want to turn our lives around this year and go into the rest of this year being more like who God has called us to be, we need to learn to quit complaining. Would you pray with me? Father, we are just, God, we know that this is a big task. God, we know that it's difficult because we are people on edge. Father, it's so easy for us to lash out. Father, it's so easy for us to respond in a manner that is anything but you. But God, I pray that you allow us to recognize, Father, to pause, to breathe in the midst of these situations in our lives where we want to complain, we want to be angry and grumble and yell out, Father, but really to seek out and say, what good is this going to do? Father, to have that change of heart, to look at where is the real source of my complaints coming from right now? Is it because it's something that I want to happen? Or is it something that I'm trusting you with? So Father, we pray just as we go throughout this week that you just help us to understand what complaining really does. God, how complaining changes us and transforms us. God, how complaining moves us. God, we are so grateful you give us this day. God, change our hearts as we go from here. We love you. Pray this in your name. Amen.